in your name. Amen. Your mic. Thanks. Um, morning, everyone. Um, can I just have my welcome to Anna's? Uh, if we've not met you yet, we'd love to meet you at some stage. If not after the service, then following Sundays. But it's so great to have you here. Uh, today, as Anna said, we are beginning a new series. It's going to run for about seven weeks. It's going to take us up to Christmas carol service. And we're calling it Jesus With. Jesus With. Where we're exploring the life-changing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is that through Jesus... God has made an eternal, unbreakable decision, not just to save us in his death and resurrection, i.e. to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So not just to do for us by saving us. Uh, Not just to teach us through Jesus what it means to live life to the full, i.e. to do with us so that we can learn to be more like Jesus, but to be with us. In other words, to enjoy our company for no other reason than that it pleases him to spend time with us. There's a complete lack of purpose, a lack of outcome, a lack of achievable goals. It's more like playing. It's more like pointlessly kicking the can around. It's like chewing the cud, shooting the breeze, hanging out with no outcome because that's what friends do. Think, uh, yeah, think going for a walk, having a cup of tea. Uh, Like I say, in Jesus... God isn't just doing for us by saving us, which is, he does that. He's not just doing with us, teaching us the way of Jesus, which he does with his disciples for three years, but he's being with us. And we're going to explore why this is game-changing good news, hopefully. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at different people and groups Jesus spent time with. Next week, we're looking at Jesus with the poor, then Jesus with Gentiles, then Jesus with the sick, then Jesus with women, then Jesus with disciples, then Jesus with the powers before landing on our carol service, which is a date for your diary, Saturday the 12th of December, Saturday the 12th of December, 4.30 for an all-age family service, 7 p.m. for uh, not family service, but still carols, which is going to be fun, Uh, and we're going to be landing on God with us. But today, we're looking at the theme of Jesus with sinners. Let me pray as we begin again. Lord, we thank you for the promise from Scripture that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Lord, as we talk about Jesus being with not just creation and not just all people, but with us, with you and with me, I pray you'd break the power of individualism and the fear that can accompany opening ourselves up to others by being with them as you have chosen to be with us. And we invite you to be with us today so that we might know more what it looks like to be with each other. That the world might know what you're like through the way we treat one another and how we live in community with one another. Amen. Fantastic. So before we talk about uh, the way God has chosen to be with us, let's just define the little word with. The word that theologian Sam Wells calls the most important word in the whole of the Bible. Discuss, but that's his contention. He says it's a super important word, if not the most important word. Here's the definition from the dictionary of with. With means accompanied by another person or thing. Here's the definition of accompany. To go somewhere with someone as a companion, to be present at the same time as someone. So let's just note from the get-go in terms of definitions, the language of presence, companionship, journeying. So, so to be with means to accompany, to be present to, to journey with, to share companionship alongside another person. In other words, being with is deeply relational. 
because it's about companionship presence journeying alongside. And more than that, we can say um, that when you spend time with someone in this way, when you're with someone, it communicates three things. I couldn't find a stapler this morning to staple my notes, and that's what I'm having to bend down to turn it over, which is a little bit embarrassing, but bear with me. Um, no, it's okay. I'm going to go without the stand. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy right now. I've just complained that I had to bend down, and then someone's offered a hand, and I've said, I am actually all right without it, which is, uh, there you go. We'll go for it. Thanks, Peg, so much. <laughs> um, here are the three things that being with confers. Number one, being with someone confers dignity, right? It says you're worth spending time with just for the sake of it. Think Zacchaeus. Jesus walks past. There's a story Jesus tells, the story that we're told about Jesus in the Gospels, where he walks past a man called Zacchaeus. He's actually up a tree. He's, he's small and he can't see over the shoulders of other people in the crowd. And here's what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. How amazing is that as a way to confer dignity on someone who many in the community would have considered uh, beyond the pale. He was a tax collector working on behalf of the, the hated Roman Empire. But Jesus says, I'm going to come and be with you today. I'm going to eat in your house. Confers dignity on him and worth. Here's an example from my own life really quickly. About 20 years ago, uh, there was a person called Andrew Morsley, who I haven't met for 20 years, but he worked for an organization called the Stewards Trust. When I, when, I was a university, when I was a student at Leeds University, Andrew Morsley would come and visit me one day every half term. He would just come up from London on the train and spend a day with me, take me out to lunch, he'd, he'd buy food, and he'd just, for no other reason, just to hang out, encourage, and pray for me. The impact of that on my life is immeasurable. It's massive. I, 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 like I just said, I don't know where Andrew Morsley is these days. I don't know what he's up to. I'd love to know. But the impact was massive. This person who was just prepared to get on a train, come and spend a day with me every half term, encourage me, pray for me, and then head back down to London. It was phenomenally impactful and it conferred dignity and worth on me at a formative and critical moment in my life as a student at Leeds University. Secondly, being with communicates love. Hebrew word for love, ahava, literally means to give. So that when we spend time with someone, we are prepared to give something of ourselves. It might be time, it might be energy. So what we're saying is, I desire to spend time with you because I hold at some level affection for you. In my home life, three kids, seven, five, and two, Benj, Im, and Beth, um, oftentimes when I've got stuff to do, achieve I've got outcome-driven energy in me. Uh, one of the kids will say, can you sit next to me and feed me? Can you sit over here and read me a book? Can you stop and play with me, wrestle with me, dot, dot, dot? And though I'd love to say that I welcome it, uh, more often than not, part of me uh, finds it frustrating because it feels like an obstacle to my outcome-driven, achievement-orientated mindset. And so... When I sit on the floor with the kids and I'm wrestling with them or, or I'm feeding them, uh, the two-year-old, I don't want to embarrass Benji. Occasionally, Benji likes to be fed as well, but we're trying to move beyond that. 
<laughs> might edit that a bit out if Benji ever hears that sermon. Benji, I love you, bud. Um, but it would be good for you to just learn to feed yourself a bit more. Uh, but uh, that can be, um, it can be painful because I love them to bits, but something in me is so conditioned by an outcome-driven achievement energy that even sitting with my kids uh, can, can be troublesome. But when I do it, I communicate love to them. They, they lit, all they want is for myself and Anna. Best thing we can give them is it's just time, time with them. Being with communicates love. And lastly, being with creates power. It says to someone, I'm prepared to sit with you even when there is no obvious fix or solution to where you're at or what you're going through. And as we sit together and we spend time with each other, friendship is developed that energizes, enables, and empowers. Think Moses in the story, when he's, if you know the story, Moses, um, the, the great Israelite um, leader, uh, at one stage is fighting a battle, and two of his friends called Aaron and Hur stand either side of him and lift his arms up. When his arms are lifted up, the battle goes well, and when he, his arms uh, fall down by his side, it's really heavy work. It's a picture of being with two friends standing side by side and holding someone's arms up as a vehicle for empowerment. There's a story in the 1980s of a climber called Joe Simpson, who, along with a friend of his called Simon Yates, climbed a mountain in the Himalayas called Siula Grande. At that stage, had never been ascended before. They got to the top, and on their way down, very near the top, Joe fell and uh, broke his leg is a kind way of putting it. If you're squeamish, apologies in advance, which I am, but I'm going to say it anyway, just for dramatic effect. He landed uh, on his crampon, but with the full weight, because in the 1980s, they, were, uh, they, were, they took all of their kit up with them on their back. The full weight landed on his, on his knee, and his, his shin bone actually just went straight through his knee. This is at thousands of feet up in the, in the Himalayas. Um, it's an incredible story. You can read about it in Touching the Void or watch it. A film has been made from it. But here's the thing. Uh, to cut a very long story short, because timing is an issue for me and I'm really working hard to get within 20 minutes today. So I just want to bless you with that. In fact, I've, Annie, you can just start you know, waving at me when I go beyond 20 minutes. So I will try. And, but to cut a long story short, um, Joe uh, ends up falling over the side of a cliff and miraculously being saved by a ledge in a crevasse. But Simon, his friend, thinks he's died. He just assumes he's dead. So Simon goes back to base camp. Joe wakes up. Joe has a long night, wakes up in the morning, and he has one decision, which is to go into the crevasse even further because he can't get out. He thinks he's basically entering his own grave. At the bottom, miracle upon miracle, he sees a shaft of light, is able to climb out, and he makes a, I think, five-day crawl back to base camp, hemorrhaging blood on the inside, delirious, falling in and out of consciousness. I mean, it is an epic tale. But here's the point of the story. At one point, Joe is interviewed, and they say to him, Joe, what was keeping you going for those five days? I'm assuming it was the fear of death, right? And Joe, who's a hard-as-nails human being um, and barely ever cries but wells up at this point, he says, it actually wasn't that. It was the fear of being alone when I died. I was crawling to be with my friend Simon because I, I needed to be with someone uh, when I died. Uh, how amazing is that as a profound insight into the human psychology? Being with is empowering. When we spend time with someone uh, and we give them our energy, we empower them. So here's what being with isn't, and these aren't necessarily bad things, but here's what being with isn't. It isn't doing for. Doing for creates a power dynamic of helper and helpless. And a discernible outcome is needed. 
at the problem or the need that's going to be fulfilled. I.e., in other words, it's not primarily relational, but it's a functional and practical outworking of human need. It requires money, often resources, and sometimes time, but it doesn't necessarily require relationship. That's called doing for. Doing for can be an incredibly powerful way, way of, um, of, of helping uh, people and situations, but it's not primarily relational. Secondly, doing with. In many ways, you could say this is better than doing for because it's a more equal dynamic of power if you're doing something with someone alongside them, not necessarily for them, but it's still mainly practical, functional, because it implies a clear outcome end point, fixed goal. If you're doing something with someone, it implies that you're wanting to get something achieved. Being for is the worst option ever. It's what most of us, I'm not speaking for yourself, but I think we are living through an age where everyone uh, can give a thumbs up, a heart emoji, a little online indication that I'm for that situation or cause, but without any cost or any relationship or any time whatsoever. It's the worst. It indicates support without costing anything in return, as I just said. At best, it's kind sentiment. At worst, it's tokenistic. That's being for. And we are a guilty age when it comes to being for. But being with is transformative. Through time, open-endedness, play, pointlessness, uh, you self-identify with someone through dignity, you're worth spending time with even though there may not be any point to it apart from being together. Love, at some level I hold affection or desire to spend time with you. I enjoy being with you. And power, we discover a strength together greater than our separate selves. It's the opposite of a functional, transactional or utilitarian relationship, being with. Um, some theological foundations really, really quickly. We want to live in and out the story of God. Being with is central to the story of God. Firstly, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before creation, are hanging out with each other. <laughs> it, that should give us a, a strong indication that being with each other and being with God is at the heart of who God is and what he desires for our lives. Trinity is an act of being with. When Jesus is baptised uh, in the River Jordan, the heavens open, and the voice of his heavenly Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm so pleased. And the Spirit comes and descends on him like a dove. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Trinitarian unity with each other through all creation and all, through all eternity. How amazing is that? Secondly, creation is an act of being with in many ways. You see Adam and Eve walking and talking in the garden with God. Out of the overflow of God's love, Jesus walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. He is with them. Genesis 3, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's after the fall, but originally God is with them in the garden. Uh, heaven, what theologians like to call the eschatological dimension, the end where we're headed, heaven, is a reality of being with. In heaven there will be nothing more to fix, mend or heal. There'll be no more tears, etc. So being with is where we're headed. It's the stuff of heaven. Heaven equals being with. Listen to this from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven is where we're heading. It's a being with reality. And lastly, Jesus. Jesus spends three days doing four. He dies and he rises again and achieves for us a salvation that we can never achieve for ourselves. He does for us. He spends three years doing with. 
walking with his disciples, teaching them the way of Jesus, the life of the kingdom. But here's what's very rarely spoken about. And if you want to read a really good book on it called Nazareth Manifesto by Sam Wells at Simon in the Fields, I highly recommend it. Jesus spends 30 years in Nazareth simply being with and the Gospels don't record a lot of what happens. We get little insights when he was 12. He opens a scroll in the temple and his mother and father don't know where he is. And we know that he was born in Bethlehem. We're going to celebrate the Christmas story soon. But much of that 30 years is unrecorded. But we know it was a significant period of simply being with and uh, in the community in Nazareth. So that should tell us something. Time and again in the Gospels, um, which are the records of the life teaching events of Jesus' life, death, and res- resurrection. Jesus demonstrates his commitment to being with. And remember, it means to be present to, accompany, journey, offer companionship to those he encounters. And here's the thing. Today we're looking at Jesus with sinners. Any cursory reading of the Gospels will recognize that those who Jesus is especially drawn to and who are drawn to him are deemed socially unacceptable. Think We've mentioned Zacchaeus, the tax collector, working on behalf of the hated Roman Empire. Jesus says, I'm going to come and eat with you tonight. Think untouchables. In the Gospels, we see lepers being healed and touched by Jesus. The menstruating woman who, according to Jewish law, should be uh, isolating and touches his robe and and is healed. Think children. They bring children to him. They say, you know, Rabbi, teacher, uh, you shouldn't be hanging around with children. He says, you know, if you can't become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of um, God. Think the disciples themselves in John 21, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, they've betrayed him, denied him, abandoned him. The first thing Jesus does on the beach is to cook a meal. He's with them. They're sinners. They've abandoned him. And he's with them. John 21. Illiterate fishermen. Gentiles. In what was... uh, a Jewish story and, and has this long and incredible connection to the Hebrew scriptures, suddenly Jesus is hanging out with Gentiles, those outside the ethnic uh, Jewish boundaries of the Israelite community. Um, and he gets accused, doesn't he? We know. They say to him, Jesus, you're hanging out with drunkards. Why? Um, those who, so here's, in other words, Jesus spent time with those who didn't look shiny. And more than that, those who knew they didn't have their life together. Those who knew they were sinners. In other words, those who knew they could never be presentable to God. What's going on here? It's not that Jesus is condoning the choices or the behavior or the attitudes of those he's coming with. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. So he's, and he spends a lot of his time in the temple fulfilling the narrative of Israel. So it's not that he's encountering these people and just completely condoning all of their attitudes, beliefs, and lifestyles. When Zacchaeus, for example, encounters the life of Jesus, he doesn't say, finally, someone who's come to justify my tax collection and my corruption. He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions away to the poor. There's an act of repentance, a turning around, a recognition that the way he's living is actually not in line with the kingdom of God. But first, Jesus spends time with him, and then there's uh, a repentance. What is Jesus doing? He's highlighting that the foundational issue of sin, I know it's a word that we might want to recoil from, it's a naughty but nice culture, I always say it, chocolate at midnight, open the fridge, I'm being so sinful. But in the Bible, sin uh, is an attitude of the heart, uh, which we might call self-righteousness. It's a self-righteous heart posture. And here's what sin, self-righteousness says. I can earn my way into heaven. I can impress God with my good works. 
if I pray enough, uh, do enough good works, if I'm kind enough, nice enough, maybe, just maybe one day I'll make myself shiny enough and presentable before God. Jesus has some choice words for people like that. They're often the people, I'm, I might count, count myself among them, who consider themselves, you know, I'm working for the church. It's a huge danger of someone like me. I'm working for the church. I'm a curate in the Church of England. Shiny. Uh, there's a massive danger. And Jesus has choice words for the religious leaders of his day. Matthew 23, if you want to read something punchy, he accuses them of being whitewashed tombs. That is to say they look presentable on the outside, but inside are just a box of bones. He, he describes them as like cups that, are, that have been cleaned on the outside, but someone's forgotten to actually clean the filth on the inside of the cup. He describes them as hypocrites, those whose words and actions don't match up. And here's the thing. If we want to follow the way of Jesus and become a church that is good at being with God and being with our neighbor, self-righteousness, i.e. pride, is a killer. Self-righteousness is comfortable with doing for. It doesn't, it doesn't have to go with doing for, but it's comfortable there because it can hold someone at arm's length and in many ways sort of consider the work we're doing as, as sort of holier than now, but it, it's not ultimately relational. It can even kind of survive in doing with. And it can definitely thrive in being for. But self-righteousness cannot survive with being with. And here's why. When, whereas we recognize out of, when we recognize our complicity in the patterns of sin and death, which we see all around us in the world, when we recognize it's not something that just exists out there in other people's lives, in the culture around us, in other groups, but actually runs through each and every one of our hearts. But we also recognize that everyone is made in the image and the likeness of God, that everyone has eternal worth. We have to come to the conclusion there is not a single person on this planet that's not worth spending time with. Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick, Matthew 9, Luke 5, Mark 2. So I'm going to land on this. Really simple. Here's a couple challenges. And hopefully also inspiring. Come to church. There's a, there's a thing. Come to church. You're all here. Tick. Well done. But, but come as, as often as you can. Why? Because being together, being with each other for no other purpose than to, to spend time in companionship, journeying, accompanying one another is deeply counterformational. It aligns us with the kingdom of God, with a principle in heaven that says the church is not primarily an outcome-driven organization. It's not an institution designed to have a transactional approach to a relationship. The church is the new created community of God, and it, and it aligns itself with what Jesus has achieved in his life, death, and resurrection, but also it has what the theologians call teleo teleological energy. That is to say it has purpose. It has built-in dimensions to it that are being drawn towards this incredible reality where the new heaven and new earth will be revealed in Jesus Christ and his bride the church and what are we going to do spend eternity what are we going to spend eternity doing we need to spend, spend eternity being with each other and with God so coming to church is deeply counterformational here's another way it's counterformational in a, in a late modern western world which is driven by individualism and consumerism being with each other challenges the silos and the echo chambers and that sort of mentality that I can only be with those like me, those with shared values, worldviews, language, ethics, dot, 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 you fill in the gaps. 
the act of being with each other in church. And let's be honest, I'm speaking for myself because I know I can be super annoying. People wouldn't necessarily choose to be with all the time, sometimes might find incredibly difficult, is a deep commitment to the life of Jesus Christ. Being with each other is a deep commitment to the life of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Will we be obedient to the call on the life of the church to be with God and each other? Will we learn to be a community that enjoys hanging out with each other and loves to create room at the table for anyone who wants to walk through the door, whoever they are, because we know that we are sinners saved by the grace of the Lord God. We bring nothing uh, but a love of Jesus to the table and that everyone is made in God's image and therefore everyone is worth spending time with for no other purpose than to confer worth and dignity, love and power. Why don't we stand? And pray that in. Holy Spirit, we invite you here once again. We know you're here, um, but, but open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to recognize that you're in the room, wherever two or more are gathered in your name. There you are. Holy Spirit, would you come?